everybody, and welcome to Cars Unfiltered Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about how Waymo is in bed with Fiat, Fiat Chrysler, Lyft, and Avis. And then we're also going to talk about how Mike is getting a Brazilian. And then we're going to be talking about how robot butts are related to the Alcan 5000. So stay tuned, and here we go. Today, we have myself, Tom, and we have uh, Adam and Mike. Say hello, guys. Howdy. Hey, how's it going, guys? Cool. So what do we have up first here? Well, I uh, I think we're going to talk about uh, Waymo is what it sounded like from that okay. intro. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I guess that's uh, my thing. So, so who are today. they in bed with? Fiat Chrysler. Well, actually, so I didn't know this. So first of all, the thing that triggered this was the um, announcement that Waymo is going to be offering uh, basically a driverless taxi service a lot sooner than the rest of us think. Um, I haven't seen exactly like what the dates and stuff are for it. Um, I don't think it really matters because if they do it, it's not, it sounds like it's going to be you know way before everybody else. But I was kind of surprised to hear that Waymo, who is actually whose parent company is actually Google or Alphabet, um, they have partnerships with Fiat Chrysler, Lyft, the ride service, and Avis, um, which is kind of interesting, right? Because Avis is a car rental company, Lyft is basically like a on-demand taxi service, and then Fiat Chrysler, you just don't hear about it in the news very much <laughs> anymore. Well, unless we're talking about seven hundred plus horsepower sedans, that's true. That is true. Or 840 horsepower coupe sedan kind of vehicles. I'm still waiting for him to put that in the minivan. Oh, my goodness. That would be a ma- – can you imagine – hey, pre- what would you call that? Like a demon van? Like there, there, there's got to be another thing to call it. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even know what you'd call it. Uh, but I'd probably buy one. So Yeah, that would be pretty Sergio, cool. if you're listening to this, um, you've got at least one customer for – a Hellcat powertrain powered minivan. <laughs> because A, I'm sure he's listening, and B, I'm sure one customer cuts it. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, I don't know. I feel like automakers have made worse decisions in their time. I, I suppose. But yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. We'll see what uh, see what comes of that. Because I mean, like actually going back to the van, the van could be a great taxi platform for uh what are the grand what is it the grand caravan it could be a great yeah. platform for Waymo. No, the grand caravan's gone now tom it's the town oh. and country sedan or, or van, oh. it's, town, it's the it's the town and country oh, oh i'm well, i'm so sorry let me go get my tweed and i'll join you <laughs> <laughs> so actually the the fiat chrysler the fca part of this um is i guess the waymo uh, taxis, driverless taxis in the Phoenix area are Chrysler Pacificas. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, oh, hey, well, look at that. I don't know. I'm, uh, so, as as far as like driverless cars go, um, I think it's going to be. Uh, I don't know. It's it's an interesting path to take, right? Uh, but I think Avis is probably a very good partnership to have from a driverless uh, perspective anyways, just because of the, the fleet management ability from a car rental company. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge. Like, it's, it's absolutely huge, right? I mean, you think about it, Lyft doesn't have any fleet management at all, right? It's all contract-based so that whoever owns the car manages their own vehicle. 
Um, Fiat Chrysler obviously doesn't do fleet management anyways. They just build stuff. And so you've got Avis over here who's like, no, guys, you know, I mean, um, our customers have been falling off for a while. So uh, we'll just we'll manage all your stuff. How's that? How's that sound? We'll take them in for maintenance. We'll uh, we'll take care of that stuff for you. I mean, I can see how that will work. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, too, I'm pretty sure Lyft has some IP in the autonomous you know, driving arena, right? Because Uber, like I have friends that went to go work for Uber's autonomous like development and for Uber and Lyft autonomous taxis increases their margin and reduces their problems tremendously. Although it puts a bunch of people out of, out of jobs. Right. But, um, which would suck. (laughs) Yeah. But that's regular taxis. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, but let's be honest. I mean, that's what the Uber business model started off as, right? I mean, they had to take the intermediate step of, paying drivers but when somebody so when when uh what was his name kalenic or whoever the guy that was ousted there you know who i'm talking about anyways um but when he came up with the idea for uber it wasn't uh, you know what let's just pay people to drive people around and use their own cars it was you know i bet you we can make money on self-driving cars and on-demand services but the autonomous tech's not here yet so let's pay people to do it instead because well, that's what the, that's what the mean, Uber, is, yeah, right? that, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, than what you know what they've been doing the past couple of years and what they're doing now. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was yeah. he was drunk at a bar someplace, and he's like, you know what? I want to be able to call up a car on my phone. And he pulled out his phone and said, "Well, I can't do it." And then he started talking to the bartender who didn't really care, anyways, and told him about his plan for just being able to call a car with nobody in it to pick him up, right? like Minority Report. Yeah, probably. I know I, I, I um, would do that. Let's be honest. Come on. <laughs> I know Uber is actually a lot more like customer and driver focused, I think, than than Uber is. Like Lyft, Lyft uh yeah, Lyft, Lyft had a lot slower growth. Um, and they kind of did that on purpose. And there's I'm not sure there's a few interviews with the uh the Lyft founders, and I you should definitely like listen to them because um it's interesting their yeah, background. But remember when they started out, when uh, when both Uber and Lyft were starting out, right? I at least in Detroit, right? I mean, I'm I'm in Detroit, not the West Coast or East Coast or anything like that, right? So it, things are a little different here. But uh, when they were starting out, Lyft had a had a very sizable presence in the Detroit market, right? You saw those stupid pink mustaches all over the place. Um, yeah. But they they fell off. I feel like because they weren't they they weren't able to deliver the level of service that they were wanting to deliver. I think, um, and so and so as you said, yeah, they consciously took a step back in their business model to be able to provide the level of service that they wanted to, even at the expense of market share, which they obviously gave up to Uber. Mm. Well, they actually are um, like the founder comes from a total service oriented background. Like he worked for, I think, like hotels and like different things for a long time. And like he's, you know, he if he feels like something's not right, like they will step back and try to fix it. It sounds like. Yeah, I, I believe that. I, I haven't looked into them enough to be able to tell you one way or the other, but I, w- I would believe that. I, it, it's always seemed to me that Lyft is a little bit more friendly per se, um, which isn't to say that yeah. they're necessarily friendly 
but as far as uh, ride hailing services go. Well, right. I think, but I mean, like they'll try to fix something if something's wrong, whereas other people will just push for the money, I think. Yeah. yeah Adam, Adam, what were you going to say? Sorry. Lyft's, Lyft's whole, uh, you know, kind of marketing strategy was just a little bit different than Uber's. I mean, they were, you know, so when I lived in Austin, I actually drove for Uber and Lyft for a little bit, just, you know, for something to do. Oh, cool. And, uh, night scoop. Look at that. I didn't know that. <laughs> right. So, Wait, are you, uh, you, are know, you impartial since you, since you drove for both of them? Yeah, I would say I'm pretty impartial. I do neither of them okay. now and I did both of them at the same time there. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with Lyft, they, you know, they encourage their drivers to, you know, at least this is when I was doing it. I don't know what it is anymore. So two years ago, um, they would encourage drivers, you know, let the other, let the rider sit up front if they want to sit up front, you know, whereas with Uber, I don't, everybody always gets in the back. Um, you know, it was Lyft kind of was marketed or it was made to feel like you were getting a lift from a friend rather than Uber was more of like a, calling a car thing i don't know if that makes sense but makes sense Did, uh, was there more or less training between one or the other there wasn't really a lot of training with either one of them um I it was that. yeah it was just kind of a i don't know like an onboarding slideshow videos type of thing interesting yeah. I mean, it's at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're an independent contractor for them. So, you know, there's, I guess, I guess there's limited training with it. So one of the things that Lyft, they said that they're doing, um, I don't know if it's like a recent change or anything, but it's from a podcast in the last couple of months. So, um, he was saying that they actually have like drive manager or like managers for the drivers, if that makes hmm. sense. So like, anymore like they go and they train these manager people um and then the managers go and like disseminate that you know training or whatever uh, mm-hmm. to manage like hospitality you know kind of stuff down to the other drivers okay. which might be a new implementation you know something new compared to what um they had know. something similar to that when i did it so i signed up for uber first and did that for a few weeks and then i uh, signed up with lyft and with lyft it was a little different because you actually um, before I could get approved to drive. So, so a little backstory with Uber, before you got approved to drive, you had to submit pictures of your vehicle and, you know, picture yourself, that sort of thing, as well as your driver's license. And, you know, they run a background, both of them run background checks and all that. Um, but with Lyft, I had to meet with a person who was already a Lyft driver and, you know, like they would meet me, look at the car, you know, um, talk to me for yeah, 10 minutes or so. Right. And then they would kind of make a recommendation whether or not I should be accepted. Cool. Yeah. That's kind of what they mentioned in the podcast. Okay. Um, so it sounds similar. Like, it may be more in depth nowadays. Yeah. Cool. So, but you know, with, with driverless vehicles, you have none of that. You don't have to do any of that at all. You, you know, you operate it from your, Evil layer, actually, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and actually, like the big question with that that everybody has, right, is which we can, I don't we could probably get buried in this, so we'll try to 
keep it fairly concise is the big thing is like, okay, in a world where it's all robots and an accident happens, right? How do the robots decide who dies? Right. Which yeah. is fair. Let's not so much get into that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I guess my thought on it um, to like bring it down is it doesn't like, this is going to sound harsh, but like, it doesn't matter because really what should happen is the number of overall accidents should be reduced so much that it, it like it should be like a rarity anyway, right? Right. Yeah, because well, the, yeah, the theory of operation is going to be on prevention rather than on uh, reaction, I guess, to an incident, right? And yeah. and granted, you're still going to have incidences where prevention can't do anything, right? Whatever unexpected circumstances, right? Where a, a kid chases the ball th- down the street, right? Which is the classic scenario of what happens right um and in that case i like you say we could get bogged down to that for hours but over yeah. overall i think the, the um the possibility of something happening is going to be decreased yeah just right. extremely decreased right just by so nature i think we would design yeah. And I think what you, what would happen is like, you know, oh, you hear this like freak story on the internet or on the news or whatever, right? Like, oh, so-and-so gets killed, struck by lightning, right? Or airplane gets hit by bird and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Like, that's like the rarity I think that people would see like, oh, you know, robot AI had to decide which person died. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, but the, 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 the complementing argument to that is – that we only talk about the things that happen that are negative, right? So even though the statistic is very small, coming from the aircraft world, right? Commercial air traffic or commercial air travel is one of the safest methods to travel, period. That's exactly what I was going to say, Mike. (laughs) The the incident, the accident uh, rate is so minuscule it's something like 99.999 continue flights are safe right and Mm -hmm. but you only hear about that 0.0000 whatever percent that happens that affects people but when it is it's something like that flight that disappeared over the indian ocean that malaysian air air flight um I forget mm-hmm. the number now, but, but you hear about it, right? And it affects 300 people at a pop. And so when it happens, that's all that you hear about, but nobody says, oh yeah, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of going to happen because that's, that's life. And sometimes things happen, but overall we're yeah, doing pretty right. good. Right. But you can't say that to the person that whose family it affected. Right. Right. Yeah, and and that's that's the downside of uh, of autonomous cars, right? Is because even though, and there's going to be so many more travel miles logged on autonomous vehicles than there are air miles, right? Yeah. Um, and you think about the the global market right now is somewhere in the neighborhood, or yeah, I looked at this the other day. I, I want to say it's something like eighty million cars are sold globally every year. Um, and if you think about those, that amount, right. And then the amount of cars that are on the road currently, you have, you have numbers in the hundreds of millions of vehicles that are on the road. Now replace all those with driverless tech, right. 
And yeah, so now you've got all these, these hundred. Yeah, you've got these hundreds of millions of cars that are driverless, and you're going to hear about the ten accidents a year, and somebody's kid got killed, right? Which is a terrible thing, but it's right so small. But that's all you're going to hear about. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to hear about the probably trillions of miles that were traveled without incident you know exactly exactly but that's what the public's going to focus on and uh it's the it's the same old story um it's the same old story for all kinds of technology that's been adopted right is that no one focuses on okay people focus so the people that are trying to push the technology focus on the good but um you have to convince the naysayers Right. right. And convincing the naysayers is the hard part. Yep. I think a lot of the naysaying too is like, you know, there's things are changing. I think we've kind of all talked about that here and there. Right. And I think one of the things is that, you know, previous generations would say, oh, well, I want the control to make that decision myself, you know, between like who lives or who dies kind of a thing. Right. And I think like, current a lot of the current generation would say like actually i don't want that responsibility you know what i mean like i don't i would rather the robot or the ai decided you know what happened so i think that there's going to be you know like a lot of that's going to turn right around the same time that uh this technology becomes more readily available yeah i i completely agree completely agree um all right, well, let's let's move on from that because that's we've we've kind of dragged that well, on actually, for a while. I'm gonna try. Can I try and segue? Okay, yeah. Let's let's hear the segue. Right. <laughs> so, Mike, when do you think that there's going to be uh, autonomous Brazilian Mustangs? Um, that didn't work so good. No, that's that's that was a. <laughs> That was, that was a tough segue, right. segue there, Tom. We'll chalk up another fail for Tom. It's it's one of many this week, so that's okay. So what Tom's trying to say is that uh, the Mustang, has it was recently launched as a global platform. Previously, it had been only sold in the United States. And uh, I believe it was in, was it 2015 or was it 2016? Uh, it was launched globally. It might uh, 15. Was it 15? Yeah, I think it was 15 with the redesign, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've, actually I'm looking at it right now on the Free, uh, the free Press website, which is, has this story, which is where I found it anyways. Um, since the Mustang, I'm going to quote from the Free Press now. Since the Mustang's global launch in 2015, the iconic muscle car has become the best-selling sports car in the world's fastest-growing car market. In 2016, sales spiked 74%. That's year over year, 74% increase from 4,076 to 7,107. We're talking about China here, not Brazil. Tom was looking at the end of uh, the uh, the URL, and it says Brazil, but more, than, more important, we're looking at China here. And uh, the point is that up until now, it had been generally assumed that the Chinese population, uh, and there was, there's market data to support this, um, but it had been generally assumed that the Chinese population was uh, more inclined to purchase luxury automobiles as the more well-to-do people in China were the ones that could afford cars in the first place. And as a natural progression of that, they were more inclined to buy luxury vehicles, right? Um 
hence the reason that Buick is huge in China, because Buick is generally seen as a more luxury vehicle. And also it has a long history and the Chinese are kind of suckers for the history, which is the same reason that Lincoln is sold in China and it's a fairly decent seller over there versus the US, blah, blah, blah. But point is, uh, Mustangs, they're selling very well in China. I'm going to shut up now for a minute and let you guys talk. Well, <laughs> history, Mike. I mean, come on. What, what car has more history than the Mustang? You know, really. That's that's true. Technically, uh, it's Ferraris okay. and Lamborghinis. Oh, yeah. You're fine. I knew, I knew, I knew. Sorry, I did it again. <laughs> knew Tom was going to go there. <laughs> um, okay. So what, what mass market vehicle has more history than the Mustang? I mean. Arguably Ferraris and Lamborghinis now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you said, you know, the sucker for history. I mean, that car is so historic. I mean, I don't know. Have you guys seen a faster horse so, on Netflix? Have you guys seen that? Just sidetrack. I haven't. It's, yeah. it's on my, it's on my list, but you, you I need to watch it. it. Okay, <laughs> it's good. But it's uh, interestingly though. Also, in the this is my main source of uh, of data, obviously. So I need to expand a little bit. But interestingly, the Chinese version of the Mustang, its base price is just over sixty thousand dollars. Wow. What? <laughs> The U.S. base price, I'm, I'm assuming that's adjusted for exchange rates, um, but the U.S. base price is twenty five five. Wow. So that's, that's well over twice as much. That's, that's almost wow. two, that's slightly under two and a half times as expensive. How, how much of that is, you know, import even, duty and that sort of thing, though? I mean. Oh, that's, that's huge. That's a huge reason. Um but the point is, you still saw a 70, what was a 76% increase, 74% increase year over year yeah. at uh-huh. that price. That's massive. Wow. And I'm curious. And, and the thing is, too, like the sales numbers are still strong. You know what I mean? Like that's the, like if you double the price of the Mustang here, the sales numbers would drop hard. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, but you have to think, right? Any any American car that's sold in China, well, no, actually, that's not true. Um, because, so, we're going to bring this around to Manufacturer Monday. I'm going to give you guys a little insider information here. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, a large part of the reason why automakers locate in China is because it decreases the important duty, right? So, like, mm-hmm. let's say we're going to talk Ford because I work for Ford. Um, but let's say Ford, we build vehicles in China and we, we, we have to part any foreign automaker that, uh, produces vehicles in China has to partner with a JV, a joint venture. Um, so, and that's because China is, you know, the people's Republic of China. And so they have to have a hand in just about everything. Well, not in just in everything. So, uh, it's a law. Yeah. And so the Mustang is not produced in China because it doesn't have high enough demand. I mean, yeah, a 60 or a 74% increase is big, but it's still only 7,000 vehicles, right? Um, and so that's not nearly enough demand to localize production in China. Um, whereas we may localize production of something like the Fiesta or the EcoSport or something like that, right? Like something that we may sell, uh, I don't know, 100,000 units a year, right? 
we'll we'll think about it. We'll be like, all right, yeah, we should probably think about partnering with a JV and selling the stuff over in China. Uh, and then it be, then it's cheap, significantly cheaper, right? Um, so the Mustang we're importing, obviously we're we're producing it in let's say Flat Rock, and we're shipping it overseas to China so that they can buy this thing. Uh, so it's a, it's exactly the same car as what you would buy over here. Um, I forgot where I was going with this, but more to the point with about taxes and duties and things. Um, yeah, I, I completely <laughs> lost my train of thought there. <laughs> it's completely gone. Well, uh, that you know that adds to the that retail price. I mean, you know, they're they don't have the uh, from what you were saying. It sounds like they don't have the relaxed duties and taxes and that sort of thing um, that they have with models that they do a JV with and they produce, you know, in China. Right, which makes me, and, which makes me wonder if the Mustang is viewed as a luxury vehicle in China. Hmm. Hmm. Right. I, I mean, you, you look at it at that price point, right? Does it become a luxury vehicle simply because it has that price point? Because it has that rarity? Because, because Possibly, but at no point, you could go anywhere in the United States and ask somebody if the Mustang was a luxury vehicle and they'd say, absolutely not. Right. 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 Yeah. Absolutely not. And it's not like we're doing anything different with these cars for the China market. I mean, granted, the cars that we're selling over there are probably mostly uh, higher trim levels, like GTs and things like that. Because if you're going to spend six, uh, yeah, if you're going to spend sixty grand on a Mustang, you may as well get one with leather seats, you know, um, and a V8 if you can get it. But uh, but it makes me wonder about whether or not it's it's turned into the luxury vehicle. Because if you're if you're buying a Buick, right, which is historically seen as uh, slightly more upmarket than a Ford. Um, those are produced in in China, right? The majority, well, not yes, the majority of Buicks that are sold in China are produced in China. Granted, I would assume that they have some of their vehicles that aren't uh, that are shipped over as well. But uh, it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting take on things. Yeah, it's hmm. really interesting. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, a lot of it actually, like, we'll just have to see, like, what pans out, right, over the next, you know, the next year and stuff, because they just had this, you know, big boost, and, you know, it seems like it's a growing market and popular, and I think, too, like, China, China is going to grow in a lot of ways, I think, over the next 10 years. Um, I've been hearing more and more uh interesting stuff of like where China's investing and what they're doing. Right. So yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Wait, I just, I gotta bring this up because I just read another line in this article. Uh, the executive publisher at auto trader, Carl Brower Brower. Yes. I think I said that right. Uh, he made this comment. It was brilliant for Ford to make Mustang a global player. Now it's the number one selling performance car in Germany home to bmw and porsche wow what yeah that's yeah impressive no joke i did not i missed that when i read this to begin with i mean too it's like it's kind of a big deal over there you know what i mean like europe loves the mustang Mm -hmm. like for sure and that was that was a great move by ford's uh marketing department namely to say that we were going to sell it in Europe. 
Yeah. Yeah. I I remember that. <laughs> I remember that first, you know, when they first started doing that, I remember Top Gear doing an episode on it. And uh And Top Gear always gave it kind of like mixed oh, reviews, yeah. right? Because of the quality, like, and obviously, like, American interior quality. I mean, we can go on about that for quite a while. But, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, they still, you know, they love the story. Like, the, I think Carol Shelby really makes a lot of the Mustang history. Yeah, definitely. Definitely makes it. But beyond that, though, I mean, it's there's a lot of other things that have gone on with it, too, right? I mean, the Mustang's been featured in so many movies, not to hearken back to another podcast, which if you listen to our episode from last week, you'll hear about things. But point is... <laughs> <laughs> Might learn about some movies. Yeah, right? Um, it's It's been featured in so many things, right? It's taken on a persona of its own, and it's uh, um, it's become a character, right? And so... Yeah. It, it, I feel like people are... I think it sells as well as it does globally because people, the same reason that we buy it here, right? You're, you're not buying just a car, but you're buying, um, you're buying the idea, right? And you're buying the history that comes along with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like people say it's like an icon, right? Like the Mustang is a car, a, you know, a car icon. So that I think is, you know, kind of sums it up in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, True. I agree. Cool. Well, I mean, unless you guys have something else, you want to move on to the our next thing? Yeah, speaking of interiors, how about the robot? <laughs> yeah, how about that robot? <laughs> this is this is a very fast blurb and the most most of the point is that Ford, not to talk this is a, this is completely coincidence here, right? We didn't go looking for this story. It just popped up. Um but according to an article published in The Verge earlier this week, uh, Ford actually uses a robot to test car seats. And the engineers at Ford, which uh, knowing Ford's structure, it's a small team of engineers. There's probably like a dozen guys that use this machine. Probably a few girls too, but point is, there's probably like a dozen people that use this machine. They refer to it as the robot. And it's intended to... It's intended to test out seat quality. Cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm five years old. I just can't. I can't not laugh when you say robot. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's. I mean, that was the point of bringing this up. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, that's. I mean, that's the name that makes most sense. I mean, what opinion, else would you call the product? There is. <laughs> There is nothing else. Um, I don't know, but we all Buster the butt tester. Yeah, right. This isn't this isn't MythBusters, Tom. This is Ford. It's a professional (laughs) company. We're going to call our robot the robot. Okay, okay. Rob the robot. (laughs) It's interesting though that Samsung and LG also use simulated robot butts to test whether their devices will bend when you sit on them. But I'm fairly certain that there's no Samsung employee that refers to that robot as a robot. Well, there is now. <laughs> yeah, now they're going to call it that. There better also, be. If anybody yeah, at Samsung listens to our podcast, yeah, you're missing the boat <laughs> on the possible interesting names for your robot. Also, yep. today I learned I uh, probably should have gotten into the robot industry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Everybody's using robots. Where have I been? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough about the robot. Um, how about a Project Alcan update? Yeah, I think that is fitting mostly because I don't even actually know where things are at right now. So today, actually yesterday, I moved the vehicle into the garage. Woo-hoo. I have successfully cleaned the garage and built a, a workbench. And uh, I pushed the vehicle in the garage. And today I removed the bed from the truck. So now I can see wow. all the things that I'm dealing with to they have to fix. And I, and I know like this probably doesn't sound like a huge update just because, it, I mean, it is to me because I know what your garage looked like before, right? So there was two vehicles in there. And how, how many engines did you say you found? Um, in the garage? There's there's three. Yeah. There's one, two, there's three in four. There's three <laughs> in the garage. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's, so, there's two outside under the workbench and then there's four in vehicles in various states of running. Right. Um, so, so you had two vehicles and you had three engines and you had a bunch of spare parts, heads, you know, whatever. And this is not a large garage people. No, this is like, this is like 20 eight. by 20. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, hopefully we're going to capture some video. If Mike can remember to, to press the record button. Hey, hey I, sent, I sent you some, didn't I? Yep. Yep. yep see, you did. I did something. So that's, yep. a, that's, a and so if, if he keeps that up, we should be able to get more. Um, and we'll be posting that on the, uh, on carsunfiltered.com and a little bit on Instagram and probably everything on YouTube. Likely. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's kind of where that I, I need to repair the bed and, uh, mm-hmm. I need to start tearing parts, parts off it so we can get those off to the, uh, sandblaster and powder coater. Um, and I'm going to have to cool. fab up a whole lot of mounts for transmissions and engines and radiators and beds and yeah. That's true. Oh, I noticed when we looked at it last time, you were showing me how the uh, basically the radiator doesn't line up with the body lines at all for the hood and everything, and that looks like a job. I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna have to do a lot of measuring, and uh, hopefully, Remember, hopefully twice. Yeah. Well, more to the point is, I hope there's still some old guys around that have some of these things that I can connect with on the internet to get some dimensions from because I'm going to need it. <laughs> we'll start going to car. We'll find like museums and car shows and just take like a tape measure. <laughs> yeah. <and> we'll, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. But let's, you know what? Let's go to the Henry Ford next weekend and see if they've got a 35 or 36 Ford. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Let's, let's take some measurements. We'll get under the vehicle. And as long as somebody doesn't come over and kick us out, we'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a good video. Uh, that that would be a very. <laughs> we if wanna, we have to go on an adventure like that, we'll definitely videotape it. We might want to go to the Gilmore Auto Museum for that one. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Actually, you know what? Ed, this is going to lead into uh, a different segment at some point. But you remember a couple of years back when we went to the uh, the snowball rally up there, or snow something rally up in northern Michigan? Drift. Was it? Yep. Snow drift. Was it? Yeah. Okay. But you remember when we drove by that one back road and there was a bunch of, you know, like 1935, six, eight pickup trucks. There's like six of them. Vaguely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Actually, there was one recently, too, when we were coming back from uh, Auto Fest, I think. Remember that? Oh, was there? Yeah. 
I don't remember that there was that barn. Like it looked like they were oh, having yeah, a party yeah, or something. I, that was way closer. Yeah. We should find that one again. We should because that was that just looked cool. I don't know what that guy had going on, but because I'm going to need a whole lot of help with some of this stuff lining it up. Oh, and I, yep. bought, I bought a steering wheel also. That's uh, that's a new thing. I bought a uh, – it's called a banjo steering wheel from the old 1930s Fords. Um, they're a very highly sought-after item. So we're going to class up our truck interior a little bit for this trip to Alaska. It's going to be Ooh. it's going to be classy. And actually, if you want to see what the original one looked like, it's in the video that's on YouTube right now. Uh, we have a, an episode one for the Alcan that is basically us going and picking up the truck from uh, – from storage, aka Mike's parents' place, aka a field. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you get to see how it almost started, it's and we weird. almost showed how it almost started again this week. <laughs> yeah, I did. In between, though, I did actually get it started and drove it off the trailer into the driveway, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I wish we would have got that. Actually, that'd been fun. Yeah, well, you know, you can't have everything you want, Tom. <laughs> I know. On that, if note, I could just have one thing once, that'd um, be okay. One thing once, no, that doesn't, it, no, no. World's <laughs> a cruel mistress. Oh wait, wait, wait! We do have more. We have one more update on uh, on the Alcan Five Thousand. Uh, while we, oh? while we were all at Cars in Corktown, sponsored by Auto Week, uh, shout out to those guys. Um, we ran into <laughs> the only guy crazy enough to drive a Morgan which doesn't have a top for those of you who know old British sports cars, uh, to Auto Week in November uh, in Michigan. Yeah, when it was, when it, was a, it was like 38 degrees out. Yeah. There, there were actually, there was one guy with an MG who was similarly nuts, um, but I don't think his car has a wood frame. So the guy with the Morgan trumps that slightly. <laughs> and that, that guy was John Lee, who I went to school with, who is why we joined the Alcan and is our main competition slash friend on the trip. So he's interested in what we're doing with the 35 too. Cause last he knew we were driving the Torino. Yep. So yeah, it'll be good to have somebody who may be a, uh, you know, kind of like a backup um, or, you know, if they're in the vicinity at the time could help us out. That'd be cool. He has no mechanical knowledge whatsoever, Tom. <laughs> Oh, ouch. <laughs> but Wait, but he, he is driving a Mustang with a 5.0 that could tow us. <laughs> but it's it's actually a, a 289. No, he does have a 302 in that. Oh. That's true. It is a 302. Um, okay, yeah. And it, it, the pro, uh, credit where it's due, John is a mechanical engineer. Um, but he's not a good mechanic. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Sorry, John. If you listen, if you hear this, John, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people who are not going to listen to this podcast. But John, if you're listening to this at all, I'm sorry, but you're not a good mechanic. <laughs> it's okay, John. I'm not either. Let's be real. <laughs> Tom, yeah, Tom's not either. He's long for the photography <laughs> and documentation mostly. But cool. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm getting looking forward to it. Like getting that, um, getting the 35, and you know, in here in Michigan. Is definitely like kind of starting to get us lit up for getting ready to go. And I'm going to, or have been a little bit, but I'm going to be doing a lot more research on how we're going to be doing our calculations for the rally time um, and several other things, which maybe we'll do some video content on that too. 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, we should, and we should uh, we should definitely post on how to use the rally calculator. Maybe we'll do something with uh, with one of the other vehicles that we have, and just uh, run some test runs with that rally calc I've got. Yep, I think that'd be a good idea. So t- keep a lookout for that on the YouTube channel, and uh, in the meantime, keep watching for updates on carsunfiltered.com and we will talk to you next week yep and if you like this or even if you didn't just leave a comment and uh like or subscribe to all the things instagram facebook uh we're on twitter carsunfiltered.com youtube follow all pretty much all the things (laughs) except for all the things (laughs) except we're not on snapchat um we're probably not gonna we're probably not gonna be on snapchat let's be honest we're too old for that time no Yeah. yeah Although I do have fun with the filters, yeah. just uh, on my just I don't post anything. I just play with the filters. Oh with, you know. <laughs> cool. All right, I guess that's pretty much it. That's it. We'll see you next week. Do we want to do something awkward I, for I the outro? Past that. <laughs> I thought that was uh, pretty sure that was pretty awkward. The whole thing was awkward. That was the outro. (laughs) A 40 minute outro. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Fair enough.